his turn, right? But you're not supposed to cross your arms when you're having a conversation. You're not supposed to face a different direction because these things communicate that you don't particularly care for the individual with whom you are speaking. Body language. And so those of you who endured basic training, that's one of the things they worked on, right? Stand up straight, look ahead, salute when you're supposed to, all that stuff. But you don't have to do that when you're hanging around your friends, right? You don't have to stand up straight and and salute them every time your wife walks into the room, right? You can let it all hang out when when you're with your friends, when you're with your family. Depends on who you're with, right? Depends on the context. So Jesus walks into the room. What should our body language be? Is Jesus our best buddy with whom we can let it all hang out? Or do you see Jesus more as a drill sergeant who's going to give you licks if you don't stand up straight and look him in the eye? Or are you indifferent? Do you stand with your back turned to Jesus because he doesn't make that much difference to you in your life? The way that you answer that question, the way that you think about it, all depends on who you believe Jesus is. And Psalm 24, is a song, our psalm for today, tells us exactly who this Jesus guy is. Like a resume, where you include your past accomplishments to show the, the people you're applying to what you're capable of by telling them what you've done in the past. That's how Psalm 24 begins. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas. He established it on the waters. What did this Jesus guy do? He created the universe. All life in the universe owes itself to him. You are here because God created you. You have life. You draw breath because God gives it to you. Okay, we can tell this guy is pretty important. In fact, he is the most important. There is no one more important than Jesus Christ. And Psalm 24 is a triumphant song. It's a song that people would sing as they go into the temple. It's a song that they're singing as if King Jesus is riding into his kingdom in victory, the creator of the world. And guess what? You get to go with him. You get to ride behind him as he enters his sanctuary, as he enters his kingdom, if a couple of things are true about you. If you meet these requirements, if you tick these boxes, you get to go with King Jesus into his kingdom. All you have to do is this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god? That's it. Tick those boxes, check those off. You get to be a part of King Jesus' kingdom. There was a show a while ago, which most of you probably remember, called American Idol. And the point of the show was you show up, you start singing, you get voted off. Sometimes you advance. Simon Cowell says some quippy, sassy stuff, and everyone laughs or everyone cringes. But the winner of the show, the American Idol, receives glory, compliments, a record deal, praise. 
And that helps us understand exactly what an idol is. An idol is someone or something that demands, that begs for, that requires glory, compliments, worship, and praise. When you idolize someone, isn't that when you think of them as exceptional, as a cut above, as super talented, glorious even? Who is more worthy of our praise, our worship, our attention than the God who created us? Who is more worthy of glory and praise than the God to whom we owe our lives, the God who created us and put us here and helps us live? Yet, brothers and sisters, an idol is anything, anything that robs God of his glory. Anything that demands that we praise it or them as if they can do things for us that only God can do. So we might not have bowed the knee to an idol. We might not have prayed to a different God other than God. But that means that every time I have accredited my success or my well-being to my own know-how or my own gifts or talents, that's bowing to the idol of self. When we have put all our stake, put all our hope, our trust in that stimulus check that hopefully is coming or has come already, the bonus or the extra paycheck for picking up extra hours, isn't that treating money as if once we get it, all our problems simply cease? As if money can do things for us that only God can do? And so because of the idolatry that we have committed in one way or another, none of us have clean hands. None of us have a pure heart. None of us get to go with God into his kingdom. The psalmist says that this person who has clean hands and pure heart, who doesn't bow to an idol, they will receive vindication from the Lord. They will receive blessing. How can we expect a relationship of blessing with God? You see, you see how important Palm Sunday is. Are you beginning to understand that this is not just a Sunday to fill up some time until we get to Easter where we get to do a cool, fun thing like throwing palm branches at a cross. No, Palm Sunday is a very important day as we celebrate the first Palm Sunday when Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem and people spread their palm branches beneath him as he traveled. Because what was going on? What's so special about Jerusalem? Well, when we hear Jerusalem, we think about the temple where God was worshipped, the big fancy temple where all those sacrifices happened. And just like we know that God is everywhere, he fills everything in every way, but we still talk about church as if it's God's house. That's how people thought about the temple in Jerusalem. That's where God lives. That's where God dwells. If God is anywhere, he is there. And so here is Jesus, the King of glory, the Lord himself, God on a donkey, returning to Jerusalem, riding into his kingdom. Why? To die. Riding into Jerusalem so that his clean hands could have nails pierced into them and hold him to a cross. So that his pure heart would stop beating. So that he could pay for all of your sins. 
Jesus is not just the God who created you, not just the God who gives you life, gives you breath. He's the God who redeems you, the God who cleanses you from your idolatry, the God who forgives you of all of your sins, the God who says, yes, you can come with me into my kingdom because I have paid your way. I have forgiven all of your sins. He has purified your heart. He has cleansed your hands. He is your king of glory. He's the one who brings you vindication before the Lord. He's the one who brings you God's blessing, God's love. What's more glorious than that? And so situate yourself on that gate, on that wall. And just like the ancients would wait for their king to come back, knowing that their king was out in war, doing battle, knowing that their kingdom, that their lives hung in the balance, how happy do you think a person on that gate watching would be when they finally see, see their king riding back in victory? The battle is won. The war is over. Your king Jesus has won the war. He's riding home in victory. He has conquered your every foe, sin, death, and the devil, and he awards you with his salvation through faith. When you were baptized, you were clothed with his righteousness, and he strengthens your relationship with him through the Lord's Supper. Your King Jesus has done everything, and he's won. How happy do you feel to see King Jesus riding home into his kingdom, your kingdom, bringing you grace and love? Well, like a, team, like a team that jumps up and down after winning a big game and they say, who's the best? We're the best. Who's the best? We're the best. And they probably don't say it just one time. You know that that's not a request for information. You know they are not investigating, okay, let's see who is the best. Oh, we're the best? That surprises me. No, it's a call and response to cheer themselves on. That's what's going on at the end of our song. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He's the King of glory. How important do you have to be that inanimate object will praise you. How amazing and glorious do you have to be that the gates themselves, the walls themselves, will lift their heads to meet you. And this is more than just keep your chin up. This is more than just have a positive outlook. This is lift up your heads. See your victory. The brothers and sisters, lift up your head. Because the King of glory has come. He is your King of glory. He is your Lord, strong and mighty in battle. He is deserving of all the worship, all the praise. Nothing compares. So let's worship Him. Worshiping Him involves an hour on a Sunday, sure. Worshiping the Lord involves an hour or two during the week in a group Bible study. Worshiping Him does involve sitting down in the morning or at night, whenever you do it, and opening up your Bible and reading a couple verses. It includes all of that, but it's not just that. Worshiping the Lord, the King of glory, means balancing your family budget, closing Excel or QuickBooks or whatever you use, and trusting that God is going to make everything okay in the end. 
Worshiping the Lord means trusting that He holds all the cards, and that's okay. Worshiping the Lord means not depending wholly on yourself or your understanding to get you through life, but knowing that God has got you in the palm of His hand. You see, brothers and sisters, worshiping your King of Glory is not just an hour on a Sunday thing. It definitely is, but it's your whole life. As you walk in trust, walk in love, walk in the good news that your King of Glory has come. So yeah, let's worship Him. Amen. Would you please stand?